Tuesday night edition of the show. Got another nuts and bolts episode here for you as we're trying to get caught up on all these teams to give you at least something from games involving every team in the league. We hope to get pretty close to there by the end of the week. Also got some news to get to rookie options being declined. And I think Danny, uh, that's where we should start right after I remind you that we are sponsored by a new sponsor, Stitch Fix. You can get started now at stitchfix.com slash capspace to bring personalized style right to your door just as the cat was just at the door and needed to be let in and we're also sponsored by indochino use that cat space code to get their best ever deal 359 dollars for any premium made to measure suit all right so the biggest one of these obviously is former number three overall pick in 2015 jaleel okafor had his six million dollar option declined for next season and it will be an unrestricted free agent it sort of sounds like this went along the lines of what we discussed when we did that preview where the Sixers tried to move him and there just wasn't sufficient interest. So now not only did they decline the option, but Mark Stein has reported that they're discussing a buyout. Okafor is making just under $5 million this year. So there isn't a ton of wiggle room. It's not like it, like Joe Johnson or something like that where there's a lot of money on the table. But it would be smart for Okafor to leave a little bit of what he has left to get into a situation where he's actually going to play because then he can actually start to rebuild his value and start to do that. There are teams that need players like him at least coming off the bench or at the bare minimum that won't marginalize him the way that the Sixers already have and they have Rashawn Holmes coming back so it's going to be even more drastic starting in about a week yeah Chicago and Phoenix both logical suitors for Okafor those guys have centers but none of them are really that amazing Robin Lopez is a solid player but Bulls aren't going anywhere this year they should take some time to take a look at Chicago native Okafor I wonder if Philly just said hey we will trade Jalil to you for nothing if they ever made that offer to someone if it got to that point i'm guessing maybe they didn't but i think at this point they should have because they have this renegotiation and extension for robert covington out there and if they could give themselves another five million in cap space for this season that would enable them to pay him more this year and then perhaps pay him less in future years because they only have 15 million or so to pay him this year if they could bump that up to 20 and then they could still drop that down uh, by 40 percent maybe they don't want to just pay him that much anyway but it would give them more flexibility also maybe if they're in the playoff race just to have they still have their room exception but just to have a little bit more flexibility there as well to to make trade um maybe they feel like they can still get something for him but after declining the rookie option seems pretty unlikely everyone knows that he's not in the plans and and you mentioned the fact that he could seek a buyout mark stein reported that so I, i think that would be logical for all sides or if philly can just find a way to trade him somewhere but he certainly will just push for a buyout to go to exactly where he wants to go but you know Chicago or Phoenix wouldn't be bad in that regard they're bad teams that won't care that he can't defend and he'll have plenty of chances to score especially on the Bulls I mean I think they're so offensively challenged that he would be able to put up some stats with them especially if they're going to consider honoring you know the idea of trading Nikola Miritich then Lowry's probably going to start at the four and they'll need even more on their second unit than we were thinking I also when I was kind of compiling a thing for a piece I wrote on Real GM was thinking about teams that I thought should have just traded for him. Like, for example, while you never know if Marcus Gasol is going to stay healthy, just now that they've cleared the space, Memphis could certainly have traded, like, I mean, just as a actual trade, theoretical trade, they could have traded Brandon Wright for him. And then Okafor has another year under contract. They're not really worried about the luxury tax next year. I would have rather had him locked in as a backup center than any of the other guys that they're trying out there. So things like that, it just, it feels like there should have been a solution here, but there isn't. And now we just get to see where it goes. Yeah, I don't know. Memphis might actually be a little worried about tax next year. They have to re-sign James Ennis. That's true. In theory, Wright does come off the books, but Wright is, is helping them more than Okafor probably would at this point. But yeah, I mean, Okafor could be useful there. I mean, even, and this sounds crazy because they have so many centers, but like Sacramento even could just use someone who could score yeah. a little bit potentially. Yeah, they didn't um, need anybody who could score tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get and, to and that Brooklyn game. Brooklyn is another team uh, that I've thought of because basically I would rather take a flyer on him than Tyler Zell if that's really like if you're going for that i mean then you can even marginalize oh yeah a little bit more and i thought 
thought Brooklyn should have, because Brooklyn is another one of those teams that just doesn't have cap space for next year, really. So if they had claimed, gotten that team control for him, they, I think that would have been a good idea. Well, well, that, actually, no, Brooklyn has space. They, they'll they have at least like 12 million or so. Um, assuming Lynn opts in, if he opts out, they could be as much as 20. Um, let's get to some of these other ones. Though. I mean, I, I, in Philly's position, though, I probably would have declined yes, the option. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it, it, and it's been quite a fall from grace for Okafor. I mean, I mean he looked better this year. He's gotten in a better shape. Um, he really, I think, what's not discussed as much with him is just like, oh, he's such a bad draft pick. He doesn't fit, blah, blah. Uh, and all that's true. Uh, and certainly Joel Embiid's emergence has been something that has not been good for his career. But he had last year was completely ruined by injury. You know, I, I, and that's something that has to be remembered in potentially evaluating what he is, although he hasn't looked good in his defensively and he perhaps uh, never will. Uh, what else do we have in terms of these decline options? Not a big surprise that a lot of the ones that we were waiting on, because we talked about a few yesterday, including Kevon Looney and Damian Jones, that a lot of the ones that waited ended up being declined. Mario Hazonia got declined with the Magic. Rashad Vaughn with the Bucks. At Chris McCall with the Wizards. Those were the ones that weren't really a surprise. Just it looked like based on the factors involved with those teams. But the two that were a little bit more surprising, Bryce Johnson with the Clippers, one that I advocated for them to decline, but didn't expect them to actually do. That could partially be attributable to the change in management there and the fact that they do well with their minimum contract. And then the other one is Josh Eustis with the Thunder, one that I think you and I both thought they should decline, but that just doesn't really fit Sam Presti's MO. But they need the flexibility moving forward. And Houston's hadn't shown that much to make it so that they needed to commit to him at this point. Yeah, he's been in the rotation, although didn't play as much today uh, and hasn't hit shots. Uh, that, that's always been the problem with him. I know uh, Dylan Murphy, who was on the pod last week, thinks that he was really a good defender in the D League, although those are kind of different things. I mean, if you really have some length, you can swallow up just about anyone in the D League. But you're if you can make shots, you know, maybe he could be a valuable player someday. But I think the big theme among all these is one of two things. Teams that were in the tax. So all of a sudden now they're like, hey, we we really need the roster spot. We can't afford to just be paying tax penalties because we have this guy on our roster who, oh, hey, sunk cost, but you know, probably if we're being realistic, isn't going to contribute. And then other guys, both Okafor and Hazonia, who were just making so much money that there is just no way. Well, Kat's active here. Knocked a, a toothbrush off the bathroom counter. That better not be my Quip toothbrush because uh, I really like that thing. So, yeah, you've got guys who are making so much money that there's just no way they're going to contribute it at the level of their salary, rookie contract or no. That was the case with Okafor and Hazonian. And I think this is probably the first draft we've ever seen where we had two top five picks have their fourth year option decline. Uh, I mean, there, it, it's not unprecedented to have a pick that high get an option decline. It happened to Anthony Bennett, happened to Ashim Thabit, among others. But certainly quite rare that that'll happen, that the organization feels that strongly. And, and many times, although this probably wasn't necessarily the death knell for him in Philly, it's because of a new regime. And that was, of course, the, the case in Orlando. To me, the other significant piece of news that we didn't get to, I think it had technically happened before the last time we recorded, but we've got a little bit more color now. It, Wait, you, you're done on, on rookie options already? This I, I would have thought this would be one of your favorite subjects. I, I like it is, but I think what was left wasn't as interesting, you know, because we had our, I think we already did a good job of talking about it beforehand. You know, like, so... What, what what about Rashad Vaughn? Uh, I mean, I guess that's another one where it's where it's the tax. I mean, oh, let me ask you this: This, this is, are there any of these decisions that you disagree with? And if you do agree with all of them, which is the one that you are closest to disagreeing? So, of the ones that were today, I agreed with all of those. There were uh, I disagreed with Portis. I disagreed with. Oh yeah, I'm talking about the ones that actually were declined. Yeah, you, you would have been more aggressive. I would have been more aggressive. And the closest call for me was probably Rashad Vaughn because Vaughn has showed a little bit the problem is specifically his situation also he's young i believe he's still 21 so there's still a lot of room for growth there and you know as uh, he doesn't as a wing he doesn't have to do as much to be valuable because they're just there just aren't that many wings and that's that's kind of a component of it so yeah that that's really where where i would go with it but yeah broadly speaking i would have been a little bit more aggressive primarily with the bulls guys and i have i am impressed though i think my biggest takeaway is that i didn't expect it to be as close as what i I would have done because usually teams they're connected to these yeah. players you, you you wanted to decline henry ellenson's uh third year no option, no like after his okay can i clarify league. this a little bit <laughs> 
<laughs> so I said, given the information that I had at the time, I would be at that was in like, what was that March of last year? I said that that's when I, yeah. that's the way I would be going. I it's though it's hilarious that basically every time I've watched the Pistons during this regular season, he has played badly. That was my opinion at the time. I would not have actually declined it once I saw summer league and everything else like that. So it's funny. I still get, I still get shit from Pistons fans about that, but it was, it seems like it was partially a miscommunication on my part and partially just, you know, Pistons fans going over the board, which they do. That's nothing wrong with that. It's being fan. But yeah, I think that teams generally are attached to their guys. Presti declining the option on Houston because remember, there's the whole complicated thing with Houston where he they picked him partially because he was willing to play in the D-League for a year and basically forego his rookie scale contract. And that, first of all, to me, was a tactical mistake because they could have just taken a European guy and done basically the same thing. Nikola Jokic was the best European guy still on the board. That would have been awesome for them. But you have all of those connections still same front office i didn't expect it to happen but i'm encouraged because that's that's the brave new world of being a big spender like they look like they are at least this year probably next year too yeah and you also when you have the equity of being a good team it's easier to do that just saying hey this guy's not going to get minutes and while your owner might be like hey what the hell we've spent a first round draft pick on this guy he's already off the team he'll even more be likely to say hey what the hell we just spent three million bucks in luxury taxes for this guy who's not playing at all why don't you just decline his option so uh i think of all the guys who had their option decline i'd probably say that oak four still has the best chance i mean he's averaged 17 oh, points a game and been relatively efficient um and maybe his only a second uh, Houston, the dis- in terms of the decision Houston is probably the one that i would be closest on just because he's like he still has some talent he's kind of in the rotation but but again as we talked about yesterday with a lot of these guys looney being another one very unlikely that any team is going to dig into cap space or an exception to sign one of these guys for above the minimum so if these if they really are that good they could always probably come with the best offer even though they're limited to paying them what their fourth year option would have been yeah and that's especially relevant for me with azonia because azonia you know that that's a higher number it would be for okafor if he was in a different situation or if he gets traded but and that that's actually yeah and only sorry and only one player i think has ever uh has ever gotten more than what their fourth year option would have been uh a solomon hill i love that we get to bring that back but there are a lot of these players who my first thought was i wouldn't have declined their option if I were another team, like if they had been in a different situation, which then gets back to this idea of are some of these teams trying to roll the dice on the idea of bringing them back as free agents? And then also, did other teams drop the ball here? Because Okafor is a great example of this. I think there are other teams that should have picked up his option, especially if they don't have a lot of flexibility, still a talented young player. You talked about how injuries marred it. And so those are related to trade negotiations that we don't know. But I do feel like with at least a few of these guys, I mean, if you're basically burning a, you know, have have trouble getting free agents a team like indiana theoretically you know obviously the high value guys might be a little bit harder for them but just to get a guy who's making like two million who can be a part of your rotation like let's say rashad vaughn i don't think there's much downside there for them yeah with okafor we don't know how much philly was asking right. for either in those and it wouldn't shock me if they're still asking for something that at least it could appear to be good i mean in the ever like the new Orleans PR trade? focus yes exactly I just the ever pr focused philly front office it almost just looks better oh you know we just let him leave as a free agent blah blah and people kind of forget about the rookie option thing that's not something that fans understand as much as whoa you just traded Jill Okafor for a top 55 protected second rounder like you know that looks really bad too so you know you don't know how much the politics of it had to do but knowing that front office it wouldn't shock me if it at least part of the evaluation uh let's uh do a quick read here I, I feel we've got now discussed it sufficiently do a quick read here and then we'll get on to some other news and of course tonight's games Stitch Fix is a new service that we're talking about here on the program if you're like a lot of guys you could probably think of a million things you'd rather be doing than shopping for clothes i i really dislike it but some of these other delivery services just weren't personalized enough for me and stitch fix has been around forever they have a huge valuation as a company mostly working with women now they're branching out into men's fashion the way it works is you get five items delivered right to your door after you fill out a style profile and after you actually have like a real person try to help you out and give you style that fits what you need you can actually correspond with this real person if you want to send them messages they will respond as well and so my process with them they sent me a few things they sent me these great pair of toms which i loved right away i only i sent back the other four because they didn't really fit me that well as you know i'm kind of a, a oddly shaped guy but i was able to work with my stylist to get it in this next batch now a great outfit that i actually wore to the last warriors game that i went to danny t- tell me how good i looked in uh that outfit at the last game it was nice i 
I didn't know it was from that, and I, I, I'm encouraged by that. It's, it looked good. Yeah, it was a pair of Avery jeans and a checkered shirt matched perfectly. Had a little red in it, threw on some Diodora tennis shoes with it as well, which I happen to already own, but it worked well with it, and uh, was rolling to the game. It actually fit me. You know, that was the problem initially, but they are able to work with me to fix that. Shipping is also free. I had to return some stuff. Super easy to do that. They just give you a bag with a pre-existing label on it. You just throw it in the bag. You don't even have to put it back in a box and like tape it up it's all incredibly easy it's really easy the shipping is free so give them a try you can get hand-picked new clothes for you based on your style and budget the way to get started stitchfix.com slash capspace is that url and then if you keep all five items they send you you get 25 percent off so that's stitchfix.com slash capspace to get started today stitchfix.com slash capspace one thing that happened a bit ago that slipped under our radar we need to talk about is the sale of the Brooklyn Nets, who I actually, because I'm an old person, still mistakenly call the New Jersey Nets on occasion. To me, this is a fascinating deal for a couple of different reasons. One being the unusual timing and just the structure of it. So they sold, so Mikhail Prokhorov sold 49% of the Nets to Joseph Tsai, who is involved with Alibaba, which is the, the Chinese massive uh, retail uh, store. I guess store is probably the best word for Alibaba. And yeah, chi- Chinese Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. And, and Although someone's going to tell me why that's and, like not. And Sai is actually, he is, he is Taiwanese, but the company is Chinese. And so the 49% now, but Sai will have the ability to get a controlling interest in four years. But what makes this special is that they already set the valuation for when he can get that controlling interest. That valuation was set at $2.3 billion. So that's a big part of this. The other part that is substantial about this is that it does not include the Barclays Center, which has been more profitable. I think it was Zach Lowe had a piece talking about this today. I was reading somebody talking about it. And Fontemps. And so that's not included at all. So this is pretty huge for Prokhorov because he gets out of the nets partially and possibly close to fully, though he will maintain a minority interest if Tsai ends up getting the controlling interest in four years. But he retains the Barclays Center, which is which is, can do a lot of other things, you know, concerts and events and everything like that. And we'll see where it goes from here. It's The NBA is very happy to have owners from a a wide variety of backgrounds and even countries now Vivek has the connections with India as well so it's good for the league in that way and it's also really good for any other team that's considering selling because this is another strong valuation solely for the team yeah now the 2.3 billion dollar billion dollar valuation that's not really they're selling for 2.3 billion now they're essentially selling for 2.3 billion four years from now so you take that and discount it down to whatever you'd expect them to appreciate that still uh, a very very nice valuation considering the rockets just went for 2.2 and they're actually profitable and they're good right now the net of course are not pretty remarkable bobby marks who of course was part of the nets organization at the time noted that prokhorov essentially just took on like 200 million dollars in debt and then 10 years later he got this incredible number so pretty good job he helped shepherd their move of course to brooklyn which is a big part of this valuation but considering that they made you know maybe one of the top five worst trades in NBA history and it just completely destroyed their franchise over the last like four or five years good on them it does show a little bit that this game seems to be rigged especially if you're in a big market and the Nets who knows you know I mean they do have by far the worst local television ratings in terms of just percentage of people in the market watching them and maybe they'll never get better maybe they'll always kind of be the weak sisters but I mean we've seen both the Nets and the LA Clippers get big price tags even though they are the second team in that market from a a fan perspective and there's also talk now that perhaps Robert Sarver who purchased the Suns for 400 million back 2004 and uh, took a while but eventually ran them into the ground that he may be looking to cash out as well um, and I'm sure nearly everyone would welcome. And as Bontemps mentioned in that piece this also complicates the another weird sale with the, the issue with Robert Para and now I'm trying to remember the other guy's name Kaplan, Kaplan in, in Memphis where basically one side is going to buy out the other but the, the they're trying to they're going to figure out who that is but this is another high valuation in terms of the grizzlies and then also the future of that are they are they wedded and how wedded are they to memphis i believe there's a strong lease on the fedex forum but there are still uh, there are complications i always kind of feel like if there's a will there's a way with the let's say the lingering nature of seattle out there well and the interesting part of this too is essentially that the minority owners can set a valuation at which either robert para must buy them out or or 
Hera may elect to be bought out himself. So if they want to buy the team, their option is basically, well, do I want to, I want to set it high enough that Para is going to say no, but not so high that you're costing yourself a bunch of money. So that'll be really, really interesting there. Uh, let's get to some of the other news here around the league. Josh Smith is back in the NBA. He signed with the Pelicans for basically the injury exemption that they have now. So that's a non-guaranteed contract. He did play a little bit in their game on Monday. It was nice to see him out there. Actually had a couple of nice passes, which has always been an underrated part of his game. Not the biggest need for the Pelicans. You know, another another four, I think, at this point. But at the same point, you know, he is talented still. Yeah, I'm uh, not too excited about that one, quite frankly. Um, what happened with that fight that we had uh, over the weekend with the, the Wizards and the Warriors? Carrick Felix and Marky Morris, who's still injured, were both suspended for a game for leaving the bench like CJ McCollum earlier. That was actually in the preseason and then for the first game of the year when they demolished the Suns. But Beal and Green, who were involved in the kerfuffle originally, neither of them got suspended. They were both ejected. And Kelly Oubre, who it certainly looked like at least attempted and landed attempted to throw punches, all of them got fined and not suspended. Oubre was the only one that surprised me just because he was more of an escalator than anything else, even though nobody else really escalated. But they all got fined and Oubre got the lowest fine of those guys. And then a bunch of, as usual for, for October basketball, injury news. I You could go in a couple different directions in terms of which one is the most important, but I want to start with Mike Conley because this is the one that's concerning because it's a sore left Achilles and we've seen this before with Mike Conley, not, not knowing that it's as serious as it was before, but when you see Mike Conley and left Achilles, I got a little queasy. Yeah, you missed to remember the bulk of the second half in 2016 with that sore left Achilles and then got that big contract, but Achilles are these things that if you have a tear, doesn't heal really, you know, unless you fully tear it and then you get surgery, right? You can't really do surgery on like a partial Achilles tear. And so we were very concerned that he might not quite be the same. He was able to come back and have a wonderful year last year. He's been great so far this year, but that's something to monitor if he's questionable. And then Marcus Sol also questionable with an ankle sprain. You have to imagine that they are perhaps likely to just sit both of those guys. They've done that before, just punt. And they certainly are punting real hard when, when both those guys sit. Uh, the Kings are already really in this mode of like resting guys. George Hill, Zach Randolph, Garrett Temple. Uh, they seem to kind of accepted th- this reality that, you know, they're not going to be like, they're one and seven now after the loss today. And so they have enough guys where I think they want to get looks at all these young guys. That's why th- these guys are resting. Temple was out today. Day. Uh, what else do we have here? Ben McLemore is still about two weeks away, but Memphis has been surviving without him. We were just talking about that, but we'll see how the, how that persists. That was something we discussed in the 15 and 60 about whether their factors are, you know, like whether there's a, a, some warning signs here. I certainly think there are. Amon Shumper is out seven to 10 days. The Cavs do have other options, but their other options have not exactly impressed during this swoon to start of the season. Not that either of us is particularly concerned about it. And and Joe Johnson, tendon instability in his right wrist, and he will be reevaluated. Not a return, but a reevaluation in two weeks. Yeah, that's not good because they need all the scoring they can get, especially on their second unit. It's really Rodney Hood is their only reliable creator. He's played very well so far uh, after he had that scare, which people thought was an Achilles, turned out to just be a, a mild calf strain. Uh, and then another team that has struggled for offense that we're going to talk about today, Greg Monroe, out at least two weeks with a strained calf, as we always say those calf injuries can linger and then Alfred Payton had a a hamstring injury apparently more severe than it seemed like at first and he's now been out for about two weeks and and still not practicing yet so you have to imagine at the minimum it's going to be a few more days for him and then Ibaka and Jonas Valanciunas had missed time with Toronto they are both probable to play Wednesday in Denver as Toronto is wrapping up their road trip all right let's get to uh, some NBA basketball barely in the case of the Sacramento Kings in this one oh I mean, so this was the first game of the day. So it was the only one on in his time slot, which is always a good chance to really watch a game intently because you know that you're not varying your attention. That was not necessarily the greatest thing for the Sacramento Kings because the Kings looked absolutely dreadful, not only in the first quarter, but in the entire first half. They scored 13 points in the first quarter, 17 in the second, and just couldn't generate any reliable offense, good looks, bad light. They just couldn't really do it and they couldn't even hit the ones they got. 
Yeah, and, and the Pacers were switching a lot of stuff and just the Kings could not get anything going whatsoever. I mean, among their starters, Zach Randolph led with 12 points. Nobody else had more than eight. George Hill, just in his return to Indiana, I mean, he's been back a couple times now, but he, he looked really, really bad. He had two turnovers in a row, one where he just dribbled along the baseline and just, and just lost it out of bounds for no reason. Another time when he just fell down at half court and then they gave up a layup on the other end from Darren Collison, who who, uh, by the way, might have been better. This might be better than George Hill right now and is making, uh, oh, you know, one-fifth of what Hill is making in guaranteed money, something like that. No, no one-fourth of what Hill is making in guaranteed money. Uh, and Collison missed the layup. Three kings were around it, and Thad Young just, like, went and tipped it in around those three kings. Um, so it was just a, a rough, rough effort. And, you know, Grant Napier and Jerry Reynolds, uh, always enjoyable. Uh, their uh, sense of resignation when it's not going too well for the kings. I think the biggest stat out of this game, the kings were two out of 14 on threes and it's not even the fact that they shot 14 percent, but to only get up 14 three-point attempts in an nba game in 2017 is just a remarkably low number and it just shows how they're and it's not like they don't have guys on this team who can actually like shoot the three it's just they're not getting open at all and we'd said on the 15 and 60 how hill he was 0 for 1 on three so that two-point shots are not his forte really and he is zero for zero on free throws he was 4 or 12 negative 18 eight points in his 27 minutes but like they have even their shooters who are okay have nobody to set them up and so just to have that few three-point attempts it's going to be a struggle for them all year we said that already and we had all these teams Danny that were like okay these times are are, teams are clearly going to be like bottom five offenses in the league and I think the Kings and Bulls have kind of separated themselves from that group the chaff separating from the wheat if if it were and other than Victor Oladipo having a nice dunk and some nice play from Sabonis the thing that entertained me the most in this game was the Bogdanoviches guarding each other and just absolutely like that was basically the only offense that for a little while that Sacramento had was Bogdan Bogdanovich and Bojan trading bucket yeah there was like a, a stretch in the second quarter where each of them like score I think like there were like five possessions in a row where one of them scored so it, it wasn't that huge other than that uh Sabonis just continues to be fantastic for them 25 minutes but he had 12 points 16 boards starting at center i mean that's the big thing for him offensively is that to be effective at center and even five assists as well he, he has worked extremely well in the dho games getting guys going back door that was that nice oladipo dunk you mentioned but he healed really got lit up in this one and he's struggled from the field as well i think his start to the season has to be very disappointing for sacramento fans when he actually played a lot better than we thought he was going to there down the end of last year but i think for some of these bad teams especially there is a difference between you know march april basketball and hey everyone in the league is trying right now basketball at the beginning of the season and maybe we're seeing some of that with, with guys like healed scal as well who you know was not great in this game either uh papa g even got in <laughs> in this game malachi even got in he was one out of six he actually had his rookie option picked up they there was some thought that maybe he would get declined but i think it made sense for the, them to pick it up because they're not gonna have cap space and they're also not gonna be in the tax so you might as well just pick it up anyway um really the only bright spot was De'Aaron Fox 18 points 9 of 18 from the field but five assists but again much of that in uh, garbage time as the Pacers had a mere 30 points at halftime even though it was in the aforementioned garbage time I was excited that the only two shots Alex Poitras who I was super high on back when he was a freshman at Kentucky the only two shots he took were threes and he made both of them so I'm gonna keep a little bit of an eye on him I've been a fan of Poitras for such a long time and I've he looked good in summer league so I'm gonna keep there and Damian Wilkins played five minutes so good for him yeah he is probably I think I know everyone who's in the league maybe I don't know every single two-way guy at this point but I I had forgotten that Wilkins had in fact made the Pacers and the Pacers are, are getting uh just enough so far I mean they've been a quality offense they're getting some three-point shooting and they really even though it is the Kings this is a team where I mean this is their starting lineup was Collison Oladipo Bogdanovich Young and Sabonis and they still were able to lock down pretty well here and you know they're bringing Al Jefferson off the bench I mean they really they're only two decent defenders on this team are probably young old depot maybe you could put stevenson in that category as well and so just to play defense this well and, and not even in an, a lucky hey they missed a bunch of shots sense but in a the sense that they just could not get a decent shot against team is somewhat encouraging even if it is of course the king anything else for you on this game no let's uh tell you about my friends at inochino who will make you a custom suit for just 359 dollars using the cat space code once you've 
experience a custom suit, you're never going to want to go back. Indochino sells to you directly, no middlemen, no markup. You can either go into one of their North American showrooms, they have about eight of those, or you can do the measurement yourself. You have a tutorial that you can use that they give you online of how to do that. Three or four weeks later, your suit arrives and it fits you perfectly. It's not off the rack. Very few men just fit off the rack suits well, even after it's been tailored in theory at the department store or wherever. And you know, of course, it costs way more. Anyway, so my experience with Indochino has been wonderful. Their sh- custom shirts as well fit me great. I mean, a lot of dress shirts that I get off the rack, you know, that it's just like just a little bit too short in the arms, right? Like it just doesn't quite fall the way you want it to like right on your wrist bone there so the way to get started with indochino indochino.com use that cap space code a let them know that you came from us b get 50 percent off the regular price for a made to measure premium suit just 359 dollars this is an incredible deal for a suit that's going to fit you better than anything off the rack ever could okay let's get to the big game we thought would be the big game of the night oklahoma city and milwaukee but oklahoma city dominated basically from about the three minute mark of the first first quarter on they did it was uh, an impressive performance i think this was the best top to bottom game that i've seen from them also coupled with not the best game that i've seen from from the bucks for a few different reasons we talked about greg monroe being out i really do think they missed him on the second unit like del vadova was negative 18 that's a good proxy kind of for where for where the game went in those minutes but oklahoma city starters dramatically outplayed milwaukee starters and there are a couple of different places you could start paul george got more back into his rhythm offensively though it still was 20 points on 17 shots and did not get to the free throw line but I again really loved Steven Adams's play in this game yeah Adams was a monster inside I mean he just threw Thon Maker around like a ragdoll early he had three just nasty dunks in the first quarter as the Thunder surged out to a 31-23 lead it was doing a great job just of setting screens 14 points 11 rebounds in 27 minutes for him plus 13 and the, the Bucks, especially with Monroe out, just do not have anyone else with any kind of physicality to handle him. Especially Thon Maker can kind of spread him out a little bit, but John Henson, as a guy who's not really a shooter, was powerless to deal with him. Russell Westbrook played a, a very controlled game: twelve points, ten rebounds, nine assists. Raymond Felton came off the bench for nine points and six assists as well in nineteen minutes. He was plus ten. He was playing very well, shooting over fifty percent on three pointers. Was further two of three from downtown in this one. So really, they, they got a lot of great play. The other thing I, I saw, although he cooled off a little bit later, Carmelo has been much more active taking the ball to the basket than he had been as a Nick. I think that looked really good. He even like beat Giannis one time, although he did push off pretty badly with his forearm. But he, he was able to. He likes to go left a lot, but he's either driving and kicking on that second unit, not settling for that jump shot. I think he's got more energy because he doesn't have to dominate the ball throughout the game. And then the story of this, though, I think even more so than the Thunder offensive stars was that they just completely shut down everyone on the Bucks, not named Giannis Antetokounmpo. And there were a couple different elements of that. I think one part of it which has to be disturbing for the Bucks is that really nobody on their team was making shots but then I think another part of it is just the shots they were getting. So to, to walk people through it, in the first three quarters, which is what I will consider the competitive portion of this game, Milwaukee was 10 of 16 in the restricted area, 1 of 4 in the paint non-restricted, 5 of 11 from mid-range and then five of 23 from three and a lot of those 23 from three were were open looks they just weren't necessarily guys that are great at making them and some of them just didn't go in yeah chris middleton had a nightmare game against the the thunder length he's a a guy who i've said often is the second option here on this team and he's miscast in that role when he really goes up against good defense when he can't just overpower his guy he's not gonna be able to create a great shot and he's not shooting it well from three so far this year only 25 percent from downtown and only four attempts a game as well in 36 minutes he's playing a ton of minutes so that's really i mean the hope was that he could shoot more spot ups this year as well it's just it's not happening for him yet it doesn't seem to be a focus of the offense uh, where it really got away from them was Giannis getting in foul trouble early in the second quarter and then they were down 20 before he came back in the game i think if i were kid because Giannis had already gotten basically his usual six minute rest in the first once it got above 10 or so I think they should have just brought Giannis back and just said hey you know what like because the Thunder starters were coming back in and they're still playing without Giannis they had no chance without him so you might as well just bring him back at that point and if he gets his fourth foul he gets his fourth foul crap like leave the guy in until he fouls out if you're down by 15 points against a 
a team that's probably better you really you know for sure you're probably going to lose the game know for sure that you're probably whatever you know what i mean uh if you don't bring them back in so and you see the way things are trending at least there's a possibility he doesn't get more fouls if you throw him back in there. yeah i agree with that and something we talked about i think it was over the weekend or something like that was the idea of whether jason kidd is the right coach for this team and i think that his there are elements of his defensive scheme that are certainly intriguing with their length and i think that you can maximize it think think even back to the year when they were so surprising a couple years ago but to me their offense doesn't reliably generate enough enough good looks for the right guys and there just isn't enough going on you know so there are a lot of times where it just kind of seems like there's stillness in it and not stillness is a virtue where guys are just in the right places and it just might be that that's what kid wants to do and it's true that they don't have great creators outside of Giannis Brogdon has had some moments but they don't they don't really have the that dynamism like the Thunder do I mean most teams very few teams have the have the guys that they do but I was sitting there watching this going like really is is that all they can do here and while the Thunder are talented defensively they're not they're not suffocating stifling at this point yeah although their switching really caused great difficulty for the Bucks with Giannis out of the game in particular and Giannis of course was fantastic with 28 points in, in 28 minutes and at one point all the other Bucks were 13 out of 41 aside from Giannis a few other notes on this one the Bucks started one of 11-3 that didn't help much with Giannis out they went to DJ Wilson he didn't really have much idea what was going on defensively he miscommunicated on a pick and pop with Patrick Patterson who actually made both of his threes today uh then he also helped off of Patterson to give him one of those threes and then the other the pick and pop he just never stepped out on Russell Westbrook and Westbrook got right to the basket for an and one uh and by the time Giannis had gotten back in it was 50 to 28 the game was basically over uh I mean what one possession that just encapsulated how hopeless it was for the boxes they were running like a Della Vadova Henson pick and roll and the Della Vadova because he's not a great ball handler got pushed towards the sideline where most teams will just trap you if you're trying to run a pick and roll right on the sideline near the hash mark that's exactly what happened and Delhi just like stepped out of bounds there's really just nothing good is going to come out of a Delvatova Henson pick and roll especially because that's so switchable um OKC as soon as Alex Abrinas came in they really started rolling offensively just the very first play Stephen Adams got an alley-oop because Abrinas was on the back side of the pick and roll and the help didn't come that had been Robertson um and Robertson was pretty good defensively in this one but struggles of course offensively and that but then Abrinas you saw guys still going right at him like Tony Snell who's uh never exactly been the greatest one-on-one player like went right to Brinus for a layup at one point in transition and and Snell is probably uh you know among the worst finishers as a two guard in the were league were you watching when Abrinas sort of tried to dunk on John Henson I mean sort of tried he did he would have got it he just slipped out of his hand it was nice I mean Henson tried to close him down in the corner and Abrinas just blew past into the baseline and almost dunked on him like right on his head too he came around for the reverse on the other side and Henson's head was like right under the basket but he just wasn't able to complete it Abrinas uh, as Fred Katz talked about when we did our Thunder preview uh, certainly does not lack for confidence in his athleticism. He doesn't and I think you mentioned this in the early part of this but and we did this a little bit in the 1560 having Raymond Felton has been a really beneficial element for them of course also having Melo play a lot with them on the bench they just have so much more stability now in the non-Westbrook minutes and they needed that we knew they needed it last year but it has confirmed it so far this year. Last thing on the Bucks, you mentioned they play this frenetic trapping style I think that when you have a, a guy on the other team that you just don't need to guard like Robertson that style is less effective because you're trapping so much that you can't just be like oh we're gonna not guard this guy you know I mean you could say hey we're gonna double off of him and stuff like that but if you're really flying around it gives him more of a chance to get into the lane when the lane is open instead of just forcing the offense to be a little bit more stagnant and go through the help that's already in position instead of making his guy have to rotate all over the place and uh, make it harder and Robertson it was able to get a few plays there and really more it was an issue of just not being able to help off him well enough um all right let's do uh phoenix and brooklyn a very entertaining game between these two squads that saw quite a bit of yo-yoing brooklyn has been fun to watch this year and i'm thinking they're more the fun to watch not because they're going to win a lot of these games but just because they play so little defense that you get to see some of the high-end offensive performances mike james was you know so so actually that's the way they want to talk about this d'angelo russell scored 33 points had six rebounds had four assists and only turned the ball over once but was still meaningfully outplayed by Mike James yeah he was and Russell really struggled defensively I thought although I didn't think that the big Suns run at the end of the game when he came back in was necessarily his fault as much um yeah but Mike James I mean 24 points 17 shooting possession 
completions, three of four on threes. I mean, he's athletic. He had four steals. He shoots the three ball, three of four on three pointers. And he's not a natural point guard passer type, but he did throw a few nice passes, led the team with five assists in just 29 minutes here. And their starting lineup, I thought was pretty good overall. I mean, don't look now, the Suns have actually won three out of four. They beat the Kings and Jazz at home, had a competitive loss to the Blazers on the road, and then now have won on the road against the Nets. We'll see that they play the Wizards, who are back at home now in their next game. But it's uh, I mean, pretty impressive. I never would have thought that Jay Chirano would be able to get this turned around. And they do seem to be playing a, a little bit harder. Uh, what else stood out to you here about this one? I'd like to see TJ Warren get a little bit more touches, more touches, but also he had some nice plays where he just really fought to get offensive rebounds and to get to the line. He was 6-7 from the free throw line, also got four offensive rebounds, 11 total. I thought he looked good. And Dragon Bender had a better game. It was a reminder that, I mean, he was one of the youngest rookies in the entire league last year. And he's moving his feet better to me. He looks more comfortable offensively. It's not saying he's going to be a world beater, at least in the near term, but more encouraging signs from the from the young big man. It was interesting to see him close the game at power forward in lieu of Marquise Chris. Bender plus 20 in this one it was in there in that decisive run, which we'll get to. Uh, and the other options there really would be either Chris or Josh Jackson. And Josh Jackson had a huge struggle, but Bender did well. Two of four on threes, had some versatility, three assists as well. He had one beautiful backdoor to Devin Booker for a foul as well. So this is one of those good Bender games that makes you think that there could be some hope. And maybe with, remember just how young he is. I mean, he doesn't even turn 20 yet at this point. It doesn't turn 20 until November. That maybe under Jay Triana, he'll get more of a shot. And, you know, certainly Marquise Chris was Watson's favorite, but that's now uh, Watson is no longer with the organization, of course. Um, Josh Jackson had one of the worst third quarters that you'll see and was uh, quite involved in what was a 17-0 Nets run. The Suns starters pushed it out to 83-65. And then before you you look up with Spencer Dinwiddie killing it for the Nets in particular, it was 83-82. And the Nets actually took, a, I think, a three-point lead before the Suns were able to come back and end up winning it relatively comfortably. Actually, no, I'm sorry. The Nets led by seven at one point in the fourth quarter. But Josh Jackson's third quarter, he took four, because we talked in the 15 and 60 about how his two-point shooting was really terrible, right? He'd been shooting okay from three, uh, but just horrendously from two. And, and watching him closely in this game, you could see why, because he took four horrendous contested shots, three floaters and one jumper. None of them even hit the rim. One hit the top kind of side of the backboard from the baseline, two just went way over the rim and slammed in the backboard and one was an air ball. And then he had a charge right after that as well. It was really just a horrendous game for him. He uh, took 14 shots in 23 minutes. He definitely uh, gets shots up. I mean, he had a pretty huge usage at Kansas too. It was like 27% on what was a loaded team. So eight points on 14 shots, uh, not what you want, Josh Jackson. One of what looked like it was going to be a definitive stretch in this game was when Spencer Dinwiddie got back-to-back threes, the first of which he had enough time. I think it was off an offensive rebound. He had enough time to, to set his feet and basically make and eat a sandwich before the Suns got out to him. But he nailed that and he looked so much more comfortable from the arc. And we didn't expect the Nets to need him as much as they will because Lynn getting hurt so early, but he has delivered so far. Dinwiddie looks like a completely different player than he did. You remember he tore his ACL and ended his last season at Colorado and spent time with the Pistons, then the Bulls. Spencer Dinwiddie certainly is playing better than any point guard on the Bulls right now. The Bulls basically just let him go last season after trading to get him from the Pistons for essentially nothing. It was uh, Cameron Bearstow who, uh, shockingly enough, not made another appearance in the NBA. Uh, but 15 points, 5 of 10 from the field for Dinwiddie, and his shot looks better. I mean, he had this bomb in one of their games over the weekend to, to ice it. I mean, it was like a 30-footer. He's looked very comfortable shooting the three, hunting that shot now, and then just attacking off the dribble as well. He's been impressed. I mean, Josh Jackson didn't play well tonight, but he's a solid defender, and just in the half court, Dinwiddie just hesitation dribble, didn't even do a move, just blew past him for a layup at speed, just showing a lot more explosiveness. Because I wondered, you know, seeing him at the D-League showcase years ago of like, okay, what is this guy? You know, he's 6'5", he can handle the ball, but like he doesn't really have the juice to attack off the dribble and he's not shooting it that well. And he really just seems to have gotten much more athletic now on the nets or more confident or whatever. Or maybe just the improved shot is helping as well. But I mean, he wasn't able to go by guys in the D-League two, three years ago. And now he's doing it to NBA guys. At least on the Suns. But yeah, he is doing it overall. And well, and, and they've been much, much better. Oh yeah. This would be something to watch. They've been much better with him on the floor than Russell, though Russell, his offensive performance certainly has been encouraged so far. It has season. been. Something else I 
wanted to mention, because we already talked a little bit about Mike James, is that we're seeing more of a kind of a throwback idea where guys are getting trapped and they're realizing the best option is to throw the ball off the backboard to themselves. And I absolutely love it. LeBron did it in the finals last year. Aaron Gordon has done that. I, I'm trying to remember. Somebody tried to do that against the Magic and Aaron Gordon read it already. I, it's, oh, and, and blocked yeah. it? Yeah. I can't remember who that was, but uh, he got someone really bad with that. Was that on the Pelicans? I think that was the game it was. Uh, but anyway, like it, it, it's a great thing to do when you get stuck because you it doesn't rely on anybody else. And, and defense, I've talked about this before. Defense is a lot of times about reactions. And offense, you, you can have a better idea of your own intentions than the defense does. So play like that until guys do it enough where guys are going to think about it. You have the advantage of knowing where it's going and being able to react to it. So you can create a better look for yourself than otherwise. Another guy I want to talk about before we discuss this closing run for the Suns was TJ Warren. He got his first field goal, I think, just right at the beginning of the third quarter. Finished with 20 points, 7 to 12 from the field in 25 minutes. And we got asked on our mailbag of who we thought some of the great cutters were. And I should have mentioned Warren, actually. He, he definitely is always looking for chances to cut because he loves to get in and finish. And then the Nets actually closed this game with Rondé Hollis Jefferson, of all people, at center. Jared Allen was out. Quincy AC was out. Trevor Booker, you know, didn't play that well in this one. And the Suns don't have a center that you're that scared of. So they figured, hey, we'll start Rondé and, and Damari Carroll. And the Suns really made the pay in the offensive glass. And Warren was one of those guys. And I think as the league gets smaller, wing players who now are playing at the four, even the three, who can crash in and be athletic, play with force, and get on the offensive glass, especially late in games, there are chances for them to do that. And Warren was uh, outstanding in that really. He had two offensive rebounds late and put back to one of them. I mean, he still remains just an unbelievable finisher. One of them, he soared in, landed basically with his feet nearly touching the baseline, like right under the basket, and somehow contorted his body and just shot like a beautiful layup to get back in front of the backboard. It was really a fantastic shot. I just, I love watching him finish at the rim. And it's probably why maybe I've overrated him a little bit uh, because he just has that great skill. Not sure whether he's going to be that great of a score, you know, to where he can really be someone who has the ball in his hands and a good team. But as a guy who could just kind of manufacture some points for you, needs to be guarded. Teams need scoring and they need scoring for guys who don't need plays run for them. And that's what Warren can provide. I'm not sure exactly where you want to start with rundown, but one place to do it would be that with about four minutes left, the Nets were actually still leading by one. And then two straight Suns baskets came off second chance baskets by TJ TJ Warren offensive rebounds and then scores. Yeah, that was huge. I mean, the Nets had led it 106-98 when Russell came back in. And I expected, because I was watching this game on delay, I knew what had happened, that, oh, maybe Russell is just going to be awful. But that that wasn't the case. They gave Spencer Dinwiddie a rest. They brought him back in because he was playing so well. But in the first minute that Russell was in, through no fault of his own, the Suns got a 7-0 run to get within one and then just uh, continued to kill it. Mike James had that pass to himself off the backboard. Did not dunk it, by the way, uh, but got a nice layup. He was pushing it in transition. It hit some mid-range jump shots. He's definitely a, a player. Devin Booker also, despite some horrendous defense earlier in the game, did well offensively. He was 12 of 22 uh, for 32 points. And also they actually finally got something out of Tyson Chandler in this game. He closed in the front court with Bender. They The matchup was very interesting with them going with two seven-footers in the front court against Hollis Jefferson and Carroll. And in this one, at least, the size ended up winning out. Although Hollis Jefferson, though he scored well in this game, you can kind of just guard him with a center because he's not going to space the floor and like force you to close out. No, he's not. And and Chandler, one of the big plays he had late was that D'Angelo Russell went in for a layup and, and Chandler blocked him. And if Russell makes that layup, then it's a one-point game. Russell has been real interesting in, in how he's scoring. He's getting up a lot of threes for sure. That, you know, he's hitting like 3-4% of them so far. He actually got to the foul line for 11 mm-hmm. attempts in this one, but a lot of them were kind of the hardened play uh, or just getting his body into guys, kind of BS, foul drawing. He still is not going to get to the rim that much. I mean, he took 21 attempts and I think only five of them were at the rim and he was two of five in this game. And also only had four assists. I mean, he likes to, one thing that I would really focus on if I were defending him is forcing him to go to the right side of the floor on pick and rolls because he wants to throw a left-handed hook pass to the opposite side shooter. That's the pass that he is best at. He really cannot throw that pass right-handed. He can't get any steam on it. He never does anything right-handed. So if you if he's running a high pick and roll, I think you're going to definitely want to really weak him, which is basically like you're kind of icing him, but forcing him to his weak hand, you know, forcing him to away from the screen to his weak hand. And uh, so that's something I would try and do with them. Uh, Eddie Johnson, by the way, was in fine form in this game. Uh, at one point, as the, the Nets were making a run, that 17-0 run, he said, Alex 
Alex Len is the veteran out there. He's really got to show some leadership. <laughs> I'm not sure if he was, he was being, I mean, I think he sort of like, was like, oh man, like they're getting beaten. Like I'm going to go to like this leadership thing. And then he's like, well, I guess Alex Len's the most experienced guy. I guess I'm going to have to continue this quote, even though I just realized that, oh yeah, like Alex Len's probably not be leading anybody anywhere. Yeah. And, and something else that was different, but also kind of fun about this game, two young teams was how it sort of pseudo ended. So Dragon Bender hit a big three that put the that put the Suns up eight. They were up 116-108. And so you're kind of thinking there were two minutes left. You're kind of like, oh, okay, this, this game is pretty much over. And then they the Suns scored on their next trip down. But through a turnover by Devin Booker, then a turnover by Mike James, and then crazily enough, at the very end of the game, a five-second violation, which was basically the only thing they could do to give the Nets another chance in the game, they let the Nets have a little bit of a sliver, but then the Nets couldn't use that sliver to win. Yeah, it ended up 122-114 as they hit some free throws late. I will leave you for the end of this episode with another Eddie Johnson quote as Tyler Zeller uncorked a left corner three. Wow, anybody can shoot a three these days. Come back soon, Jared Allen. Um, all right, so Danny is getting this book signing tomorrow. If you're in the Bay Area, East Bay Booksellers in Oakland tomorrow at 7. Is yeah, that and game? going to be in conversation with Marcus Thompson. So that's going to be fun. We're going to talk some Warriors history. And of course, sign some, I'm going to sign some books, which will be a lot of fun. And also an excerpt of the book will be out tomorrow at The Athletic. There also might be something else to keep an eye out for. Keep an eye on my on my Twitter feed, but I'm I'm embargoed from talking about that. So I'm not going to talk about that. And But just keep an eye on it. And it's, it was fun to actually put together an excerpt because since this book is self-contained chapters, it actually works really well for that. So we chose something. I, I was talking with my publisher. We did something a little bit different for this. It's not one of the early chapters. It's it's actually one that you and I talked about in terms of draft busts. And so thought that that's a, just an encapsulation of a part of Warriors history that is worth telling. And so it's that's what's going to be up at The Athletic on Wednesday morning. It's an encapsulation of the entirety of yes. Warriors history until like t- t- 2009. Do, can I tell the story of what, how you described the, that chapter the first time I told it to you? Yes. Yeah, I, I, don't, even, I don't even remember this. Okay. Anymore, so I so it, it was actually, I was, I was telling you this idea. We were at Twitter HQ uh, for the Twitter NBA show before we were prepping one day. And I was, I was talking through the idea of how I wanted to approach some of the negative stuff in the book. And I, the idea that I had settled on was kind of grouping it together based on, you know, so there's a chapter on draft bus, there's a chapter on the most disastrous trades, and there's a chapter on bad contracts and a couple things like that. And your immediate reaction was, oh God, people are going to have to have like a bottle of Jack Daniels next to the book when they're reading it. And that's actually in my head, I called them Jack Daniels chapters now because of that. <laughs> Jack Daniels, that doesn't seem like the liquor. It, you may not have, I might have, you might have said a bottle of liquor and then I said Jack Daniels. That might have been the way that it happened. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember which way it went. It was like something strong and I might have gone with that because that is more yeah, my wheelhouse than yours. Or, or you could just call any chapter having to do with Chris Cohen, Jack Daniels. Oh, there are a lot. Uh, well, in part because of, you know, what some of his uh, proclivities were rumored to be. All right, we're descending into the weeds here. Don't forget about our sponsors today. Sitch Fix stitchfic.com slash capspace and Indochino use that capspace code to get $359 made measure suit talk to y'all next time if you're like a lot of guys you could probably think of a million things you'd rather be doing than shopping for clothes so let me tell you about stitch fic men they've reimagined how to find and buy clothes and you never even have to leave the house just go to stitchfix.com tell them your sizes favorite type of clothes and most importantly how much you want to spend shipping's free both ways so anything you don't want just send it back and exchanges are always free too you can get your fix monthly quarterly or whenever you feel like there's no subscription required it's easy the shipping is free give them a try get started now at stitchfish.com slash cap space and you also get 25 percent off when you keep all five items in your box stitchfix.com slash cap space let them know that you came from us